Welcome to Wealth Made Simple with Shaz, where you'll learn how to master your money through business, property, and tax saving strategies. Your host has collectively helped his clients make tens of millions of pounds in additional profits through these strategic approaches to business. Introducing Shaz Nawaz, an award-winning chartered accountant, property tax expert, entrepreneur, and property investor. Last week, we started discussing different property strategies, didn't we? We did indeed. And we were discussing how there's a wide plethora of strategies out there. And we only managed to cover three last week. And we covered a bit about... Is that because you talk too much? Might have been because I talk too much. Might have been your fault. Yeah. It's possible. So I made you talk too much. Yeah. So this Absolutely. week, my job is to make sure you, you talk less. But that means so you're going to have to talk even more. Less. But that means you're going to have to talk <laughs> more. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's a good thing, by the way. Yeah. Uh, well, it, it, it can't be any worse. Yeah. Um, but if you want to just give us a quick overview on, on the basics of a buy to let, and we'll just quickly cover off what we covered last week in very shorthand, and then we'll get on to the new strategies for this week. Yeah, absolutely. So Bytelet, simply speaking, is where most people start. So uh, people may have heard uh, the term accidental landlord. Uh, so somebody owns a home, they live in it, they then want to move to a bigger or a smaller house or a home, uh, and then they end up keeping the first one that they had, and they end up renting it out. Okay, by chance, that wasn't the intention many years ago. So that makes them a... Uh, landlord or somebody has a house and then they think I want to invest some of my money into property because it seems like a good safe sound investment so they do so and they buy their first property which generally tends to be a buy to let for most people uh, and it's a single let where they're letting it out to one particular family and how it simply works is they find a property uh, put an offer on, uh, for, put an offer forward. If it's accepted, they go to a solicitor. And then if they're funding it through a bank, they'll usually put down at least a 25% deposit, get some bank funding by way of a mortgage, uh, and then go through the legal process, buy the property, rent it out, and it's as simple as that. Fantastic. Very straightforward then. Easy peasy. But what, what about our next one, which, was, which we discussed, was uh, HMOs? HMOs are more interesting uh, so this is when somebody has a bit more confidence uh, and they're thinking about, I'm investing money in property. Uh, am I getting the best return I can? How can I improve my cash flow? Uh, what other options are there? I'm renting to one single family. What if I rent to individuals? The property is large enough or they buy, a, let's say, a three-bedroom property and it's a corner plot, for example. So I think I can extend on the side, which where you usually can on corner plots. Not always the case, but you quite often but you can. Quite often. Or, or they can extend to the back. So they extend it and turn it into five separate rooms and then rent each room to individuals, uh, which gives them more cash flow. So if that three or four or five bedroom property uh, could be rented for anywhere for less from 800 to 1500 pounds a week, depending on the area you're in, uh, per room, they might get 100 to 125 pounds per room. So the, the, the cash flow is nearly double, if not sometimes three times as much. Uh, so that works well. Uh, you've got challenges in terms of where the property is and if you've got tenants who perhaps uh, aren't the type of tenants you're looking for the neighbors might not be happy then there's particular areas but let's talk about peterborough for now where you've got lots of hmos so people aren't happy 
because they don't get to know their neighbours and different people come in and there's five people living in a house and people having possibly lots parties of coming and, and going. Coming and going, they just feel like they don't know who the, who they are. Uh, antisocial behaviour could be a challenge. So it, and by the way, not all HMOs are equal. Uh, some are, I've seen, uh, as you know, managed extremely well uh, because they've got the right type of tenant. Uh, but that can be an issue. But a, an HMO as a strategy is a really good strategy. It just needs managing. So it's put it this way: it's like buying a pet or having a pet from somebody who, who's had a pet for let's say a year. They change their mind uh, and say, "I've, I've got a, a cat or a kitten or a dog or a puppy, uh, and I can't look after it now." He go, "Kieran, you take over." And the puppy's been reasonably well trained. It's nice and easy compared to, and this is how I see it, by the way, is somebody says to you, I went to Africa, for example, and I've got this wild dog. Here you go, Kieran, look after the wild dog. That's, that's not a dog, that's a hyena. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's for later, by the way, for now, sold to you as a dog. Okay, and then you're trying to manage and look after that pet uh, who's never been a pet, who likes to be a free bird, so to speak, uh, and you're trying to train it, it's difficult. Uh, and that might not be the best analogy to use, but that's what an HMO is like in compared to a single lead. It requires more time, effort, energy, enthusiasm, and management. And as, as long as you've got somebody who can do that for you by way of an agent, or you can do it yourself, it works really well. But it comes with the responsibility it's and consequences. It's all about having the time and the responsibility. That's right. Yeah. And, and the final thing we covered... and. Um, we did kind of rush it towards the end, was um, SA, serviced accommodation. And we dipped a little bit into the difference between f serviced accommodation and furnished holiday lets. So serviced accommodation has become very, very popular uh, over the last, I'd say, mm, seven to ten years. Most of the last, I think about 2015, 2016, it started really kind of gaining traction uh, with Airbnb and Booking.com. Uh, so this Made it so much more accessible for people. They have, and it's competitive. So somebody who was was or is booking a room in a hotel, depending again on where, where they're looking to stay, because obviously if you're in central London, the price is very different to uh, booking a, a room in Leeds, for example. Uh, but let's say it's costing £80 for a room in a particular area and you could book into a service accommodation unit uh, or apartment and it'll cost you half the price, possibly. Okay, so it's become more accessible, more competitive, uh, and it works well. This is basically where somebody takes a property, converts it into uh, service accommodation, which for all intents and purposes, we'll just say a bed and breakfast. Yeah. You don't have to give breakfast, by the way, but quite a few people do. Some do, some don't. Uh, and so, so people... Rent. Does that count as like cereal in the cupboard? It could do if you're giving people a, a healthy breakfast and living. Uh, I've only ever used it once, believe it or not, when I was in Brighton. But we get a very personal service. So uh, I arrived there with a, a friend of mine and we were greeted by the people who actually live in the house, husband and wife, and she sat, the wife sat with us for half an hour to get to know us, had a, we had a good chant, told us where we can go locally, we asked if we wanted some food, tea and coffee, showed us where the bedroom was in the morning, or the night before, asked us what we wanted in terms of our preference for breakfast. It was a really good personal service. Uh, I and that to, makes a huge difference. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Because I mean, hotels different. You used to just check in and they, they tell you where your where your room is, and then off you go. So th this was really good. But it's like a bed and breakfast. So let's compare. So single let you're you're renting the whole house uh, or property for let's say a thousand to fifteen hundred pounds. HMO 
three to five people, for example. Um, it, it can be a different number. I've seen big HMOs, by the way, 10, 15, 20. Uh, and you then need a big house for that. It's, it's a big property, big property. Usually a, a commercial property converted into uh, an HMO. And then you've got service accommodation where it's uh, a room by the night. Uh, and the cash flow on a service accommodation unit, if in the right area, marketed well, maintained well with a good service, uh, you can make four times what you make on an HMO. So an HMO, like I said, makes anywhere between two to three times on average what a single let makes. Service accommodation, if done properly in the right area, can make three to four times as much as, as an HMO. Okay. So we're looking at that eight, ten times more than a standard buy to let. Ten to twelve. Ten to twelve. But again, comes with the responsibility and costs because now you're changing the beds regularly. Uh, you might be supplying food, other services, uh cleaning, etc., done properly and regularly, maintained to a very different level, a higher standard. You need a different mortgage for it. Uh, you're possibly paying business rates. It, it is a business for all intents and purposes. So are the other two, by the way, but sometimes people don't see those other two as businesses, whereas SA they do. Then you've got other issues, which I'm not going to go into today, about VAT and taxation, which are different. Uh, that's, that's a whole different ballgame. That's a whole different ballgame, which, which we'll cover at some point. But service accommodation really is a game changer, and it's a beautiful, beautiful property strategy. And so if somebody wants to get into property, uh, and they're a bit more ambitious than most, I'd say start with service accommodation. And just for people's information out there, and it's just something to be aware of, Vitalets, HMOs come under an investment, whereas serviced accommodation as a business, it's a trading business. And it's it, it's good to do some research into the difference between the two. Absolutely, because most people can't get their head around trading and investment for tax purposes. They, are, they have different uh, tax consequences or benefits and allowances and uh, reliefs and exemptions. Uh, so you've got two kind of uh, tiers or layers to uh, service accommodation. And one is what was furnished or they let. So the type of stuff you'd see at Blackpool or Cornwall or Dorset or Devon or those type of areas, Cumbria. Uh, and then you've got full f- full out uh, service accommodation where it's like service departments. But the word service means you're offering a further service and not just renting a room. Uh, so service accommodation would be treated as a trade. Furnished or they let, you've got to meet the rules for it to actually qualify for certain trading benefits. So the room, the uh, the actual property has to be available for commercial letting for 210 days. Number two, you have to actually let it out for 105 days. Number three, if it's rented out for more than 31 days in a row, i.e. 32 days or longer, to any one party, and if those 32 days add up to 155 days in a year, uh, then you lose furnished holiday let uh, rules. Uh, so basically, uh, and it if, becomes a short hold tenancy. It becomes a short hold tenancy, and it has all different types of connotations. So if you rent out a room to one person for thirty-two days and repeat that five times to five different people, then you've gone you're to one hundred and sixty days. You're going to lose uh, furniture they let. Excellent, and that I mean, and that in a nutshell is what we covered last week. Um, so this week, three three more strategies. New week, new strategies. Um, so we're going to start off with, um, I'm going to couple two strategies together here. That's nice of you. I, I know, I'm, I'm a good individual. Um, but mainly because the difference between the two of them comes down to what you do at the end. And that is buy to sell or buy, refurbish, refinance. Very similar strategies overall. You both, You start the same 
you maintain the same during the process of refurbishing the property. And then it just comes to the end, whether you're selling or refinancing. So buy to sell, are we talking about property flipping here? Yes, we are. Okay. So what does property flipping mean, Kieran? <laughs> property flipping is the process by which you attempt to, and I say attempt to because it's not always doable, um, buy a property below market value or within your own budget that you've worked out once you've done all the numbers. So what does below market value mean? So if you go on to your um, property sites or go into an estate... Right move or wherever. Right move, Zoopla, Purple Bricks, places like that, um, or go into an estate agent's... Yeah, and there are many in, in Peterborough. There are many, you know... Around the country. Around yeah. the country. Um, and e e each of them will be... In each of those places will be able to tell you the average value of a property in a certain area, a certain road, a certain... Uh, a district, yeah. District, po uh, postcode. And you take, take, take that price, and the idea is to get a house or a property below that price. That will be below the market value that the market is set for the property. And once you've purchased the property below market value, you then spend some money refurbishing it, doing it up, making it look nice, making it either sellable or refinanceable for somebody to move into. Once you've done that, you then revalue the property. Hopefully the property value's increased. And once that's done, you can either, like I say, refinance, and get a mortgage on the property, pull some of your money back out to continue the process again, or flip the property, which is what we're talking about here, where you've made the money on, you've made, you've sold the prop, you then sell the property for more than the cost of the initial property, the legal fees and all the other fees that go with buying a property and selling a property and the cost of the refurb. So the trick is to buy below market value and make sure you keep the cost down. Absolutely. So if you were to run through an example, a property in a particular area is worth, let's say, £250,000. You negotiate a deal with somebody, uh, and there's different ways to do this, by the way. It's not always through agents. For, let's say, £175,000, but it needs some work doing to it. Uh, you then do the work, and let's say you spend... Forty-five thousand pounds doing the work on it. Okay, yeah. So that's costing you two hundred twenty thousand pounds. Uh, unless it's just say some of the other legals, STLT, whatever. It's just uh, for this example, by the way, because I haven't worked it out. It's another ten thousand pounds. So you've spent two hundred thirty thousand pounds. But because you've done the property up quite nicely, even though the property's in the area sell for two fifty, because because yours is done to a higher standard, it's worth a bit more. And let's say it's worth two hundred sixty-five thousand, so fifteen thousand more because you 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 spent forty-five thousand pounds on it. Yeah. So you you sell it for, sell it for two sixty, you bought it for two thirty, or sorry two sixty-five. So you made a thirty-five thousand pound gain, less any selling costs. Let's call that uh, another five a couple thousand of thousand. Pounds. It won't even be that much. But okay, let's call it five thousand. If you call do it five thousand for the easy, you make easy. thirty thousand pounds, and if you if you do it properly, you can do that within six months. Yeah, exactly. And what what other industry can you can you think of off the top of your head where you can make thirty thousand pound in six months? Part time, part time, because mm. it's, it's not it, it's not going to be a full time job. No, absolutely not. I mean, you you look at you've got to project manage it potentially, unless you've got the team in place and you're doing this on the regular. But if you if it's your first one, for example, and you're just doing a flip to get going, you 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 invest your initial initial sum. You you pay for the upkeep and the the refurbishment of the property. Once all of that's done, you've got to 
project manager, you've got to find traders, you've got to find people to do the work. And that in and of itself is is your your equity within the deal. But once you flip it, like you say, you can get that done in six months. And then move on to the next one. £30,000, thank you very much. Nice, is it? It'd be nice if you could do one every six months. And with enough... Why only one? And that... Exactly. Um, if, you, if, if you've got the energy and the experience for it and the enthusiasm for it, there's no reason you can't be working on two, three, f- even four. Absolutely. If you communicate effectively and, and project manage competently, there's no reason you can't have four going at, t- at the same time. It's all a process, isn't it? It is all a process. Once you le- learn System- the process. Systemization. And once you learn the process, now it works, cut your teeth, so to speak, on the job. Anybody can do it. Really, anybody can do it. Yeah, I completely agree. And and that 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 that's some, something you just said there. Cut your teeth on the job. In every property strategy, regardless of whether you're doing any of the ones that we present here or any other strategy that we haven't covered, there's always going to be an entrance fee. Yep. And I think I think that is important to mention. You are going to make mistakes. No, no, no bones about it. And they're going to cost you. And they are going to cost you. It, the, is this is where I pull out my list <laughs> and walk, talk through it all and then start crying and you give me a Kleenex and it calm the cheer up, Shaz, it's okay. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be okay in the end. It'll, it'll be okay and in the end, Shaz. If it's not okay, it's not the end. <laughs> exactly that. Um, I mean, at some point we will go through, through, through our, our faults and our mistakes um, uh, in, a, in a later show. Um, but yeah, understand that there are two there are two things that will almost always happen in every property deal if you're flipping to sell or getting work done. And what are they? It's always gonna cost you more than you think it will cost you. And so it always take longer than you think it's gonna take. Exactly that. Guaranteed. The the, the trick Wembley Arena and think the Millennium Dome when it was built. Always cost a lot more and took a lot longer. That applies to most, if not all, deals. Exactly that. So that's that bit there. And then if, if, if somebody's doing BRR, how's that different, Kieran? So buy, refurbish, refinance, rent out is you follow exactly the same process. You try and buy below market value. But it's, in my opinion, less critical to buy below market value at this stage if you're going to refinance, as long as you can get the value of the property up when you refurbish it. So if you buy, say, to use your example, property that's worth £250,000, you buy it at the £170,000 mark that you said. 175, yeah. 175. You then refurbish it, £45,000. Well, okay, that's all well and good. I guess you're 220, think of the 10 grand purchase cost, 230. 230. Um, But you then refinance it at 75% um, loan to value as you, know, you would as a property investor. Um, so you, you do that and at the new, price, new value of 265, and I don't have a calculator right with me, so you'll have to help me here, Shaz. 75% of 265. Yeah, so it, you'll need to leave about 70 old grand in the deal. Yeah. Yeah, ballpark run. Roundabout. Yeah, yeah. But that's not bad for a first deal. Yeah. You know, and, but then you have... Well, put it this way. So you've put, let's say you've put in 35,000 pounds at the the start. Uh, You've then added 
£35,000 worth of value, there's no way you're going to be able to buy a, a £265,000 property by putting down a £35,000 deposit. It's not going to happen because it's not, it's not 25%. No, no, exactly so that. you put down half, which is 12.5% to get that property. So still it's very good, isn't it? And then yeah. you, you look at the monthly cash flow and the profit. And, 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 that, and that's go. what I was about to move on to is that, yes, you've left some money in the deal, but you now have cash flow. You've now got money coming in every month. Yep. Well, let, let, let's assume that you don't have to worry about voids and what have you. Yep. But still, um, we've had a question um, on Facebook from Faisal. Uh, is it still possible to get property below market value in this economic environment? I absolutely. would say absolutely. Yeah, there's always deals. So when, when the property market's buoyant, there's still deals. When the property market's down and low, there's even more deals because different people are selling for different reasons. So let's say a couple are going through divorce. They just want a quick sale. Yeah. They've got a reason to sell. Let's say somebody's got quite a few debts to pay and he or she decide that we need to sell this property to pay off the, those debts and that's costing us too much money. They'll take a view on it and do a quick sale. Let's say somebody had a parent living in the property. They passed away. The property's empty uh, and they live in a, in, a, in, a, in a different town or, or different city and they think we don't really want to manage this. We just want a quick sale so we can get the cash, pay whatever inheritance tax we've got and then divvy up the money between their siblings or whoever uh, is, is going to be left, a yeah. beneficiary. So I mean, those are just yeah. three quick reasons. There are other reasons yeah. as well. Yeah, if think, somebody gets a new job and a new, new city, they they're going to move. move. Yeah, they're fed up of their neighbours who've been annoying them. They think, I just want to get out of here and, and you know, to buy the next property and sell yeah. this property. There's 101 reasons why people, people want to have a quick sale. Have they're a quick sale. motivated to sell. So you've just got to find those people and there's plenty of them up, uh, out there. Absolutely. And and, and that, that's the thing about property is it doesn't matter really where we are in the economic cycle there's always property you can buy below market value if you look hard enough and you do your research and do you do due diligence, diligence. Yeah, yeah. yeah and there's always a deal to be made yep. regardless of where you are or, or where they are yes so, so that's brr and then 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 obviously Flipping as well, both covered. Which but, are two really good, good cash flow strategies, especially flipping, because like I said, you've got 30 grand. If you do two deals, if you do them in a year, got 60 grand there, you're well on your way to now working towards how can I have something bigger and better like service accommodation or commercial conversion or some of the other stuff that we're going to cover. So it gives you a good platform. If everything else gives you good income now, and if you've got a job which pays for your... Uh, lifestyle. Lifestyle, and your, it's got, it's, you've got some disposable income, then this 60 grand now you can save... And quite soon, 60 will become 90, become 120, 150, 180, whatever. And then you've got a good chunk of money there because you've got a secondary income. And as you know, to become wealthy and financially independent, you've got to have more than one stream of income. Absolutely, and multiple your, streams of income. So if, if, if you're doing 60 grand over a year, over three years, you've done 180, okay? You're now going to use that money to make more money. Absolutely. And, and that's the thing. And that grows very, very quickly. And the more money you, the more money you grow that way, the more money that you can pursue putting that savings, you can invest more in more deals, do more over time. Yeah, I mean, there's only two ways to make money, as you know, to keep it really simple, is how do you spend more time and effort to make more money? How do you use the money that you have to make investments for that to make you money? And the smart one is the second one, because that's what good investors do. They use the assets that they have assets okay, to, to pay your sweat money. them to make their money. Absolutely. Money while you sleep, as they call it. Yeah, yeah, or passive income as... as other people no such thing as passive, but yeah. Well, well you've, yeah. St you've always got to put a bit of work into it. That's right. Let, let, let's not mislead people there. So we've covered flipping, and we've covered 
Brr, which is BRR. <laughs> well, I do we, love that strategy. <laughs> it works well, doesn't it? I mean, you it and I have seen people use it. For, I mean, the interesting thing is, because uh, people sometimes ask me, I'm sure they've asked you as well, which one is the best strategy? And the answer is, they all work. Everybody I, has gone. I think, I think that's one of my favorite questions because the answer is very, very broad. It depends. Depends on what works for you. Yeah, that's right. But if anything done phenomenally well, because which one, which is the best business type in the world? Well, they all work, whether you're an accountant, whether you're a solicitor, whether you have a corner shop, whether you've got a takeaway, you've got a restaurant, you've got a letting agency, you're into property, you're, you're, you're selling cars, you're selling windows, you're selling whatever you're selling, you've got a restaurant. Everything works well if you do it well. Absolutely. There's no one business in my view that's better than any others. People might have a different view on that, by the way, but that's fine. But if you're selling stuff, as long as you learn how to market it properly, how to sell it properly, how to systemize it, how to have processes, how to have good customer service, how to have a good team around you, you can run and create a phenomenal business. And the same with property. All of these strategies we're talking about, every one single one standalone works well. I mean, I know people who do BRR who uh, perform better than any other strategy. I know people who do flips perform better than any other strategy. Same with all the others. Single lets are a slower burn, but Absolutely. they require more or less effort usually, and they're more hands off to use the word that you use passive. They are more passive than any other, other strategy. But if you haven't got time, you're a busy executive, or you, you've got a business and you've got a family and you've got other things going on in your life, and you think, I just want to make investments and I want the least amount of headache. Well, then that works for you, but you're going to make a lower return overall. But if it works for you, then, then that's cool because you're still making more than you would do if you weren't doing anything about it. So Absolutely. every single strategy works well. The other interesting question, by the way, while I'm on my soapbox, is, uh, and I'm not on that often, as you know, Kieran, only six times a day, and uh, it's about... Uh, six times a day, you're being generous. Six times an hour. <laughs> uh, so uh, is people say, oh, what's the one thing that I can do? And it's, it's the wrong question to ask. What, no. what we should ask is, what are the 254 different things that I ought to do? to become successful or to make it in property or make it in business or make it in whatever they want to make it in because there's never one thing. No, there isn't. No. I think, I think there's, it's, it, that, that's, one, that's one of those things that we, we like to discuss at length and it comes down to mindset. There's not... Is that when I talk and you listen, by the way, or do you do it around? Uh, yeah. <laughs> when, you, when you say I listen, that's being generous. You pretend you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. No, but it, it 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 is one of those things, though, isn't it? Is that regardless of what strategy you choose, what business you choose, what what area of expertise you have, um, all of them can be successful, and all 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 of those avenues can make make an individual successful, wealthy. But success leaves clues, and it's not one thing that makes anyone successful. It's a combination of things. It's a combination of work, understanding marketing, getting the right people around you, being around the right people in the first place. And and all of those factors roll into it and play into it. Yeah, and I get why people ask that question, by the way. But with respect, I'd say it's trying to say, how can I find the most laziest and easiest way of becoming very successful? Well, if you look at successful people, uh, and it was something that I learned from uh, an American uh, mentor, okay, uh, guru, so to speak, uh, Jim Rohn, and he said, if you look at successful people and you spend a week with them, and by about day three, you're going to say, no wonder he's so successful. 
Look at all the things he or she does. He said they're going to wake up at five in the morning, okay, and they're going to have their breakfast, and then they're, they're going to pro- program their mind, doing a bit of yoga, meditation, reading the Bible or the Quran or whatever they like to do. Okay, by seven o'clock, okay, they're working up their plan for the day. They haven't done it the night before. Okay, half past seven, they're on email and sorting everything out. Nine already half past working. Nine, nine half past nine. I think now just do the real work. I've, I've, I've sorted out the, the emails and then they do what they've got to do. They haven't been on social media or Facebook or any, anything up until now, by the way. And then they get all their stuff done until lunch. And then they, they might go on social media, do the other bits. Afternoon, same again. Marketing, sales, course, doing what they need to do, having meetings with their team members, with their clients. And then when half past five, everybody's going home. They're still working or they go home at six, half past six, seven o'clock, have dinner with the kids and the wife if they've got uh, a wife and, and kids uh, or a partner. And then at eight, half past eight, they're back to work again till half past nine, ten, eleven o'clock. And people might say that's a sad life. That's what it takes to be successful then. That's what it takes. And that's why that person says after day three, no wonder they're so, so successful. The amount of work they've done in a day, it take, I do in a week. Yeah, exactly that. So the question should be, what can I do, do that nobody else is willing to do to achieve what nobody else has done. Um, another question on the socials. Um, so is, what is a realistic net return to aim for with single lets? It depends. It does. And I, obviously partly here we're, here, we're, here we're talking about below market value. We're talking about how much money you've spent, so whether it's BRR or just buying a property ready made. I think most people will generally say to you, you're aiming for a 4 to 5% return. Yeah. Generally speaking. Generally speaking. Uh, and if you're smart about it, you might get 6%, but it, it, it's going to be low because it's a low risk strategy. You know, the, 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 the market works in a particular way. Okay. Low the risk, higher the risk, reward. the higher the return. Okay. Most people, people get that. And because uh, single lets are very, very low risk, safe as houses, uh, as we've said before, uh, then the returns lower. If people want to become a bit more enthusiastic and ambitious, uh, then they look at HMOs where it's a much higher return. Uh, if they, they could look at commercial property, and I know people who go for six, seven percent on commercial property, I know people who, who won't touch it with less than ten percent. And as you know, when, when I'm looking at stuff for commercial property, and there's less than a twelve to fifteen percent return, I'm not even interested in looking at the prop- property deal. No, absolutely, and 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 that's the thing. You've got to work out what's going to work for you, what where you're going to be at, what what is enough for you. Um, as I I I think as long as all your costs are covered. And as long as you are making money and not losing it, because you know, I, I have I've spoken to people where they because because they don't view their property business as a business, they've they've rented out to friends or family or or people like that, and they've given them mates rates, and that's all well and good. But when those mates rates just cover the mortgage costs, and then something goes wrong, they've got to fork. They've got to foot the bill out of their own pocket when, you know, something needs fixing, something or or when that person in, in, inevitably moves out and they've got a voice. They don't have that bank of backup where they were making money because they were just they were just coasting. And that 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 comes down to not treating it like a proper business. You know, if you if you're going to if you're going to rent out to friends and family, by all means, don't let me stop you. And I think that if if you can help someone out in that manner, that's great. But you've got to do it at market rate because ultimately it's a business. After, after, after month two or three, you're going to start 
regretting it, and then you got to go back there, put yourself in an embarrassing institution, try and increase the rent, and they think, well, I only took the property because he was at £500 or whatever, and I asked him for £700. I can't afford it. It's going to disrupt your relationship. So why not do things properly, properly from to the outset, you know, and just think these things through, like we were talking about on the way here. There's something called the law of unintended consequences. Yes. And as you were saying, everything has a consequence, and you're right. And it's the consequences you haven't thought about, which come up, and then all of a sudden you think, well, I, I didn't quite expect this. And then you're snookered. Yep. You can do whatever you want, but you're not free of consequences. Absolutely. You are free to do what you want, though. Yes. Now, nah, back to the world of back, property. Back to the world of property. So, Shaz, I want to get into property, but I don't have quite enough for a deposit because, you know, deposit's quite high and understandably so. So so is there anything I can do to to make to, to get my foot on that ladder of a property business. No, Kieran, you're doomed for failure and I have no answers for you. I've stopped asking me such ridiculous questions. How can you ever <laughs> think of getting into the property or getting onto the property ladder without having any money? This doesn't work. Or does it? There's what? something called rent to rent. Which rent is to fantastic. Rent. So it's in a very simple speaking language. This is where you go to a landlord or a property owner could be a landlady, but I'm just using landlord as a title as opposed to being gender specific, just to be clear. Uh, so you, you go to a property owner who, let's say, is having trouble renting their property or has too many voids or has had problems. And you say, hey, I'll ask you, Kieran, you've got this property on, on the market for 750 uh, I'll pay you 750 I might even pay you £1,000, okay? And I'll rent the property from you, but I don't want it for a year or six months. I actually want it for five years. So I sign an, an agreement with you, take it for five years. So you're going to sign a five-year agreement with me. Paying you £1,000 a month, whereas you'd get 750 otherwise, guaranteed rent, for 60 months. Where do I sign? Exactly. That's what people... That's, should, that's a fantastic offer. Take. I then take over the property, and I might decide, for example, turn it into an HMO. So I'm, I'm, I'm taking the headache, okay? I'll have to spend some money on it, doing yep. it up. And I might actually be able to get the landlord to say, can you help me out and spend a bit more money on it? But rather than giving you £1,000, I'll give you 1250 to 250 every month over the next 60 months to help you recoup some of the initial investment that you've made. So you're going to essentially give me £500 a month more than I'm asking for at the moment. If you help me out, refurbish some of the property. As long as I help you refurbish it. Yeah. Well, well I, I've, I've got the savings from where I've been renting this property out. Absolutely, let's do this. And there you go, you see. And then you're renting it out for the next five years and you've just got to manage it. And now you're making a margin, paying the landlord, they can then, or the property owner, they can then obviously pay for the mortgage. They have a mortgage. They're happy. You manage everything. And there you go. You've got cash flow coming in. Cash flow coming By in with very little. Minimal, if anything, depending on how you structure the deal and you're on the property ladder. But how likely is that to happen? Very likely, because there are lots of people out there who have voids. They've worked with agents, which haven't, hasn't quite worked out for them. They've managed themselves, and that hasn't worked out well for them. And they're just thinking, you know what? I just want someone to give me guaranteed rent every single month, because when I went listen to that radio show that Shaz and Kieran were talking about, getting on the property ladder, seemed like a very good idea. And it doesn't right now, by the way, uh, because this is hard work. So... People don't want that hard work, so they are happy to give you the property as long as they get guaranteed rent over a number of years. Yeah, absolutely. And everybody's different, like you said. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've I found that the most receptive to this idea, in my experience, have been accidental landlords. People who have accidentally found themselves with that extra property and they don't know what to do with it. 
someone comes along and says, don't worry, I'll take it off your hands. Not going to buy it off you. You know, you can, st you can still hold on to it, but I'll rent it off you for a guaranteed amount of time, providing this deal works and I can do X, Y, Z. It works for, for, for both parties. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've, I know a person in Birmingham, he's got 250 rent-to-rent -rent properties. 250. 250. It's good going. That's not the biggest, by the way, but no, that's not. just one example that comes to mind of somebody I was, I was talking to recently. There's people I know who could do 5, 10, 15, 25, 30. You don't need that many, by the way. I mean, we're not going to sit here and go through the numbers, but people did. Once you're at 7, 8, 9, you can, you can actually afford to stop working. If you're not like say, a £40,000 salary or £50,000 salary, once you've got 7 or 8 rent to rent properties, you can afford to do it full time. And if you're, not, if you're not on a forty or £50,000 salary, you're on a £25,000 salary. Well, then four or five and... Four or five and you're, and, you're and good you're to go. Good to go. Ten, and suddenly you've doubled your income. Absolutely. And now you've got that cash coming in, using for your personal expenditure, and you've got some for savings, where you can use, where you can go back to other landlords, and rather than saying, I'll give you twelve fifty, give them a 1000 But I'll do the refurb. You're doing the refurb. Or you're saying, now I'll buy some singlets, or I'll save this money to invest elsewhere. And that is the power of property, isn't and it? And it changes, and you, you can get there very, very, very quickly. As you know, I know people who started from ground zero within two or three years, okay? They've amassed a huge, huge property portfolio. In fact, just before Christmas, uh, I, I was with somebody, and uh, they have generated, Kieran, £250,000 in serviced accommodation income, profit, profit, not turnover, sorry, okay, in 12 months. Phenomenal, and That's this person was a working. Phenomenal result. Okay, single mother uh, was working uh, and on a average salary. I don't remember the figures. So I'm, I'm not going to quote one. And she's now making two hundred fifty thousand pounds. Okay, not doing service accommodation as in property she owns. She's doing rent to SA. Rent to service to. Oh, so you can do that as well. Absolutely. So we're not just talking about rent to HMO. Or, or rent, rent to rent. Single lets, yeah. rent to single let. You could you could rent to any other strategy. You can do rent to SA. So I take over your property. You take over my property. I might have to offer you a bit more than a thousand pounds or twelve fifty or whatever because I'm going to generate more. So I've got two options. I can say to you, I'll, I'll I'll give you a flat fee for your property, and you can have a share of the profits, or I'll give you a bigger number, sign a five year deal, turn it into service accommodation. Off you go. And that will, that will if, if in the right area, done in the right way, generate even more money than standard rent-to-rent -rent on a single let or well, to turn into an HMO. Well, I mean, th th this goes back to what we were saying when we were discussing the individual property investment strategies, doesn't it? Is buy-to-let gets you, you know, say, £1,000 a month, HMO, same, ha same property as a HMO gets you maybe double that, maybe maybe three times, depending on how you split it up. Service accommodation, four times that amount, five times yeah, that amount. Eight, ten, twelve so of, of, uh, a single uh, of, of if the single right, leg. Yeah. In the right way. Okay, through Airbnb, Airbnb, through Booking.com, through your own marketing, your own reputation, it soon adds up. And it adds up very, very quickly. Yeah, and that's the beauty of property because most people think property is single lets, buy a property, 25% deposit, rent it out, and wait, wait for three years, save another 25%. No, no, no. That's the real slow way of doing it. And if that works for you, by the way, absolutely fine, because everybody's different. But, but there are ways you can speed that up very quickly. And, and, and that's, that, that's one nice thing about property, isn't it, is there are 100 strategies and they all work and 
they can go as fast or as slow as you you want to. Yeah. If you if you are ready to hit the ground running and you do you you want to do your learning and you're prepared to cut your teeth, you can be from a average paying job to property business owner in less than a year if if you put the work in. And I'm I'm not going to you know sugarcoat it. That will be a lot of work. You will have to put a lot of work into that, but it's completely doable. And then you get to a point and you get to give up on your job. You get to ha- hand your notice into your boss and go, I'm going into my own business. But there's a guy who was on my, on my course recently, I think in September, uh, who was working as a management consultant earning 150 grand a year. Uh, and, and that's not a bad made, salary. That's not a bad salary. He's working in London, but 150 grand a year. Smart, smart guy. And he emailed me and said, I've left my job. I'm going to property full time now. Yeah. Because I'm going to make the 150 grand in the next year, 18 months. And that that's fantastic to hear. And I mean, but that, big that, commitment. He's left his job. So now he's taking a big risk and he's going to make it work. He's going to have to. Yeah. He hasn't got any choice. No. No. Yeah. When, and when, that's why he's, he's done it this way. Yeah. I mean, that that is a way to do it. Why like, not? Yeah, absolutely. Why not? If I mean, if you... I mean, that takes a lot of courage, and I'm, I'm not sure everyone would take that route, but... The bigger the risk, the bigger the likely reward. Absolutely. And that that's a mindset thing. But how many times have seen people think, I had no choice, I had to make it work. I put all the chips down, okay, on red or black or whatever, uh, for one of a better expression, and I, I had to do this. And if I didn't do it, it was all over. And those are the people who usually end up achieving the most because they see us having no other choice. I have yet to meet someone who has done that and not made it work. I don't know about you, but me personally, when when someone has gone, okay, the chips are down, this has to work, they found a way. Because if, if, if option A hasn't worked, they've gone to option B. If option B hasn't worked, they've gone to option C. And when they get to option C and that's not working, someone says to them, why don't you give up? They say the alphabet's got 26 letters. Yeah, but if, if George Bernard Shaw, the Irish playwright, who says, the possibilities are numerous, once you decide to act and not react. So yeah. The possibilities are numerous. You've got loads of possibilities. You've just got to take action. And you've got to be disciplined with it. Yeah. You know, pers- personal discipline, you can't, you know, and this is something that I experienced you know, with with certainly within my friendship circle, is that yeah? Oh, Kieran, are you coming out tonight? Can't. I'm working. Okay. And it became a pattern. I'd get asked, invited out. I'd get invited to. You know, You're a sad bloke, aren't you, Kieran? I don't hang around with you anymore. You always work here. That's all you do. Work, work, work. I mean, You're miserable you are. All you do is work. No, I don't. I have fun. I enjoy my work. Does that count? I don't see his work, though. No, oh, wow, wow. <laughs> this is a rabbit hole now, isn't it? Uh, now, now we're getting into no, semantics. But, but the point I was making was the, what I just said out loud is what your friends are thinking, aren't they? Yeah, not absolutely. Not what I'm saying to you, by the way. Yeah, no, no. Okay. It's so true. Such a sad guy. He's, well, he's not fun anymore. He just thinks about making money. Or he thinks we're not fun. He, he doesn't want to be around us. He thinks he's better than us. None of that. You, you don't no, think any no, of that. You think, none of that. I just want to be focused. I've got a plan here, and I'm going to work towards the plan, uh, because if I don't work towards my own plan, I've got to work to some, to, towards somebody else's plan, and they've got nothing planned for me. 
Exactly that. And the thing is, if you spend, you know, five, six, seven years dedicatedly working towards your own plan, your own future, your own retirement, if you like, that can do more for you and for your future and for your life than working for someone else for the next 20 years, no matter how good of a boss they are. Thanks for listening to Wealth Made Simple. You can follow and contact Shaz on the Facebook pages Entrust Property Tax and The Profits Wizard. You can also find Shaz on LinkedIn, YouTube and Instagram. Alternatively, email him at shaz at aa-accountants.co.uk. Build your wealth by mastering money.